knowing what you believe and why you believe it lies at the very heart of Christian experience, worship, and everyday living. The Bible's not about you. You're not David. Trouble in life is not Goliath. Jesus is going to be David in the shadow. Goliath is going to be sin and death. Who's that make you? Uh, and it doesn't make you the Israelites in the corner going, he's going to kill all of us. That's exactly who you are. What is your only comfort in life and in death? That I, with body and soul, life and in death, am not my own, but belong to my faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. Gospel is that God the Son freely agreed to die our death for us, to suffer our deserved condemnation and doom in our place. And he didn't just agree from eternity to do it, he actually did it. It is fatal, fatal for us to think that we can ever move on from the gospel. The great problem in the evangelical church today where the scripture is concerned is not the inerrancy of the Bible. The great problem in the evangelical church today is the sufficiency of scripture. We don't think it's sufficient to do what we have to do. So we have to wake up what's happening and recognize that the problem really is our lack of theology. Hi and welcome to Theology Gals and we have a special guest today. I know a lot of you have been excited for this episode and we have Amy Bird to talk about her new book, Why Can't We Be Friends? And I think most all of our audience is familiar with Amy, but if you haven't heard her before, I will link the episode where we had her on our podcast, her podcast, which is Mortification of Spin. And you can also find her over at Alliance of Confessing Evangelicals, housewife theologian, and she has so many wonderful books and we recommend all of them. So Amy, I know that that this book is a little been a little controversial (laughs) and, you know, some people guessing what it's going to be about. And so we really want to talk to you about what it really is about and not some of those misrepresentations and whatnot. So why don't we just start by asking you, what is the book about? Sure. Yeah. So the book is about friendship between the sexes, but um, when I was originally looking to write it, that was the a big question that I wanted to answer. Can men and women have holy friendships, platonic friendships? But um, really what I was thinking was in a much bigger framework of um, just the whole theology behind it, that we are God's people. That was actually the original title for my book. (laughs) We are God's people. And um, what I wanted to do was really lay out a theology of our anthropology, our Christology, eschatology, and ecclesiology. Like I think that all four of those um, really weave into this this question then about relationships between the sexes because it's I'm, I'm not talking about like everybody wants to jump right to oh what can men and women do in their friendships mm-hmm. together right you know? or what you know what can we say that we can't do and right. I think most of us know what we can't do but. What I want, wanted to talk more about, we live in such an individualistic society and we romanticize everything. I wanted to talk about living in the covenant community of our local church first and foremost, and then how that overflows into um, the, you know, the larger church, and then even into our, um, the way we interact and in our relationships with unbelievers. So that the main premise of the book really is that we are called to eternal communion 
with the triune God. That is God's mission for us. And, and that overflows then into relationships with one another as well. And right. so I really wanted to lift up how, um, how do we promote one another's holiness in our relationships? Was there anything in particular that made you think that this book was necessary to write? <laughs> yeah. Okay. So, you know, I'm just a, a lay person in the church <laughs> and uh, somehow I, I, you know, had a book in my head a couple years ago and I thought I just saw a need in the church and I was mm-hmm. trying to, to, to make a tool to help women um, discuss in their churches why theology is so important why we are called to be good theologians and, and why um, our theology affects our everyday lives. Mm-hmm. And, and so that, you know, as I began to, to, to be a writer then and then a published author and, and then to do a podcast and having the blog and everything, you know, and, and I do a lot of speaking in different churches, I really started noticing right away the tension of being a woman doing this. Mm-hmm. in kind of a man's world in a lot of ways. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, I do my podcast with um, an academic, Carl Truman, and a pastor, Todd Pruitt. Right. And, you know, as soon as I was invited to co-host with them, you know, there were warnings coming in from some respectable pastors saying, you know, I, I don't think this is a good idea for you guys to have this woman on this podcast um, talking so casually with you about theology because, you know, mm. this could lead to sin. And um, we were kind of shocked. We, because at this point we had a good rapport, um, a really brotherly, sisterly kind of rapport. And um, we had, you know, recorded for a while at this, maybe a month or so, probably like three months into it. And um, we all of a sudden had this big elephant in the room that we hadn't even thought like, it was a problem before there was no tension before but now all of a sudden it's like well what what does this person mean like you know right look into this more let's talk to our spouses let's talk to our boss you know the alliance and and uh and everybody was on the same page thankfully but you know the message was that we shouldn't be modeling that and then as i've been in different you know traveling even in, to different places you see this tension sometimes to a point where i was you know actually walking in a in a strange city back to my car i had to block up park several blocks away and um it's raining it's dark out where i parked was a sketchy area and i was left to walk to my car alone instead of offered a ride from you know i was in a co-ed group of people but everybody dispersed in different ways and it just so happened that you know two men could have offered me a ride but uh, i wasn't so I just thought, this is because of appearances, you know, mm-hmm. right? It's not mm-hmm. because of anything else. And, and I just thought to myself, if my husband was here and saw this, he would be so mad. <laughs> you know? Yeah, and It was like, cause my safety was yeah. at risk. It was just, and, and, and so I've had handfuls of experiences like this now since then to where, and in interactions with people to where I just thought, something needs to be said. Something needs to be at, at a theological level of how we're to view and treat one another in God's household. Yeah. Right. And, and I, I really think as we see the Me Too movement and the Church Too movement, which is just heartbreaking. Now, there's always going to be sin and there's always going to be abusers. But um, I really do think that one way the church can react to some of this 
is to take a proactive position in helping teach about who we are in Christ and how we model that and how we treat one another as brothers and sisters in God's household. I think that that'll help us exercise wisdom and discernment then in our relationships as mm-hmm. well. Mm-hmm. And and I definitely call for that throughout the book. Like we need to grow in all those areas and we need to learn how to do that. I want to draw out a little point uh, from something that you said. I think Colleen and I have come across some conversations where um, some of the pushback, immediate pushback on your book talks about extreme examples of Mm -hmm. building friendships where, okay, well, we shouldn't just be out at the movies, out at candlelight dinners. What, what on earth is this (laughs) wishing? But I want to back up to what you said about Um, your podcast with Todd and Carl. I mean, this is a friendship that is out in the open. Right. It's public, not one-on-one private. And you were receiving pushback on that. Yeah. So uh, this is part of what needs to happen in the conversation, right? Is that it's the pushback that is out there is not really about the wild situations. It's about normal situations, right? Normal situations. And, um, and, and, and it's interesting because when in the normal, it's funny because a lot of people who are offering the pushback live in worlds where maybe they can control them, their circumstances better. But, you know, I've been married for over 20 years now, and my husband's a public school teacher and administrator. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. He works with so many women. He shares his office right now with the community liaison who is a woman. Right. You know, so there he is breaking the Mike Pence rule eight hours a day. (laughs) (laughs) How do you live? (laughs) So I just feel like, you know, we've had so many conversations about this. And and Mm. we did in the beginning of our marriage, you know, we heard it on the radio, this whole Billy Graham rule thing. And and you need to do this to protect your marriage. And well, I wanted to protect my marriage. So um, we had those set up and, and quickly we began to realize and both, I had a coffee shop at the time, you know, we were talking about different situations. You know, I think communication is so key and, you know, mm-hmm. he would be invited to go to a conference and another woman from his school would go as a representative. And he would say to me like, well, should I tell her that we should ride separately from the same school to the same school? You know, like <laughs> right. it makes her feel like she's got fungus on her or something, you know, like, um, and it's weird too, because depend, you know, there's a lot of Christian uh, co-workers that he has, and then there's some that aren't, and there's some that, you know, think they are and they're not. It's very offensive to people to, to see this man who says he's a Christian, mm-hmm. not, you know, say something to where it's not really honoring to her. It's, it's the opposite. Yeah. So we, we've been through a lot of conversations. Now, are there women who he should not give a ride to? you know, or share a lunch with, at a conference with, of course, mm-hmm. you know, discernment, we need discernment mm-hmm. and, and put the proper boundaries up at the proper times and, and have good communication. And that way we grow and we grow and, and it's not a self-protective thing as much as it is a serving other people thing publicly mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. before the Lord, talking to our spouses about it, talking to, you know, just being open and yeah. I just, I feel like the church is really, what's happened is we have the sexual revolution going on all around us. The church needs a, to respond to this. And, but I think out of fear, we've swung the pendulum so far to the other side that we in fact have over-sexualized right. men and women. And um, that leads, I think, to further temptation to sin. Yeah. 
Yeah. And, you know, we actually did a podcast already talking about can men and women be friends. And my husband and I, we've been married almost 23 years. And we were like you Mm -hmm. and your husband that we put that we, you know, I guess we're supposed to have this rule. And my husband came home late. My husband worked second shift earlier in our marriage. And he came home and he said, "Um, I just want to tell you that I gave a woman a ride home tonight. And he said, because he would park at the bus stop and then they would take the bus into to his employment. And he said, I wasn't going to leave her there. This is before right. cell phones, you know? Mm-hmm. And, and I said, of course you should have. And then he had a situation. There's a older woman that he works with that is like a mom to him. Like she's almost 70 and they both mm-hmm. were at on a, um, in San Francisco for a, a work thing. And he mm-hmm. called me another several years ago now, but he called me and said, you don't mind if I go out to dinner with her, do you? And, <laughs> and I'm like, no, <laughs> like her, you know, I mean, I know exactly yeah. what it is and stuff. And so we, and, and we really found that the, of course, boundaries are good and necessary, but those will differ depending on the relationship. And, right. But I'm so glad you talked about communication because I think that that is yeah. so key. And what it we is, talked really about, is. like talking to your spouse about this. But as Angela said, like a lot of people think when you say men and women could be friends, that what you're saying is men and women should go out alone together all the time. Right. <laughs> you know? <laughs> so, he, friends now means dates. Right. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. But... I think people do want to hear a little bit the practical. I mean, mm-hmm. how do those relationships look? Mm-hmm. And, and and when you're married and stuff like that, um, it, like I have a lot of friends in my church, even who are married, mm-hmm. uh, men and women, and and yep. my husband and I are friends with both of them or whatever. And and a lot of the time, we're just going out together all the time, right? right. Um, but you know, maybe some someone has a theological question that's something I might, you know, specialize in <laughs> with all my research and writing. <laughs> and if I, you know, if a man wants to text me or email me about it, I I don't think his wife feels threatened at all, you know. But I would right. never want I would never want to come in between anyone's marriage because friendship is not exclusive. Right. Marriage is exclusive. Right. Friendship is more about what we do, you know, how we honor and elevate and promote holiness in, in other people. And so our different friends, you bring out, you know, give us different pictures of Christ even. So it isn't something that you go try to be exclusive with somebody else in a friendship or seek out opportunities to be alone with them or anything like that. My book is more about how we how we do relationships, how we view one another and to have a better theology of all of that so that we can be sanctified because so often we're talking about what, what we can't do. However, if, if just, if we are going to be discerning people, the first thing we need to know is goodness, right? Cause discernment yes. separates goodness from badness. And, um, I find that a lot of the objections only points like it makes everything bad. It taints everything, every interaction. And Mm -hmm. yes, we are fallen creatures and we definitely need to take sin and temptation seriously. So 
we do interact differently as men and women together. Um, I'm not going to pretend like men are the same as women. They're not. We're different. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And um, we are sexual beings. Like we need to keep all all that in mind. But I think why Paul uses the language of brotherhood and sisterhood over 100 times in scripture, especially when he's talking about how we are to behave. He is telling us how to do that. And he says to Timothy, you know, treat the older women as your mothers and treat the younger women as your sisters in all purity. We know how to do that. Right. I mean, he's telling us our status in Christ, but it's also teaching us like, this is how you treat them. Yeah. And it, that's really what we're going to be in eternity on the new heavens and the new earth. So um, I think that we treat it that way. And in and, and marriage, I would never want to do something that my husband would feel uncomfortable with, vice mm-hmm. versa. I would never want to have a conversation. Like if I'm having a conversation with somebody after church who's, who's a man and his wife would be uncomfortable with that, well, then I wouldn't want to have that convers- you know, conversation. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. We want to honor people's marriages. And I'm hoping that the book will have, and I've, that's been one of my favorite responses to the book so far is, especially like even in my own church, like married couples who have been reading it together and telling me about like all the conversations that they're having now. Um, and, you know, coming from different backgrounds, some of them coming from very strict, like, Gothard background, right. and some of them coming from you know more level-headed backgrounds. Um, just the conversations that they're having as married couples, and I'm hoping that that translates into conversations that churches are having on this, so that we're not mm-hmm. saying, "Oh, throw caution out the window." Of course not. I mean, right. we common sense goes such a long way, but let's not scandalize everything, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You know, talking about what should our relationships look like, and you just talked about um, how this is this affects church life in general. I'm mm-hmm. wondering a little bit how, um, you know, you said earlier that the context here is covenant community. Mm-hmm. Do you, and we have a wide range of listeners, and so okay, some of us have a church that have um, the idea of covenant community, and some don't. And so I wonder if you could talk about that how that context of covenant community really relates to uh, illuminating what our relationships could look like. Yeah. So, so God, he has pursued relationship with us through covenant. And so we see in Christ, we are under the covenant of grace in Mm -hmm. which Christ has lived the perfect life that we could not live Mm -hmm. and died the death that we could not die bearing the full wrath of God for our sin. And then there's this great exchange where we get Christ's righteousness imputed to us and our sin was imputed to him. And so now we, before we are in Christ, um, we're under the reign of sin. Mm -hmm. Um, But in Christ as Christians, we are under the reign of grace and we're given new life. We're given his Holy Spirit and we're able to do good. We're, we desire God and, and we're, we're able and called to obey him and to grow in holiness. And he is actually transforming us into his own likeness. So we have church where every Sunday, the first day of the week, we are called out of our world, our secular world's uh, vocations, and we're called to assemble to worship our God, 
our covenant God who has given us and promises to give us in a special way during that service, Christ and all of his blessings. And it's almost like a, a dress rehearsal every mm-hmm. Sunday for, mm-hmm. for the new heavens and the new earth. Yes. And so in church, the future is actually breaking into the present. The kingdom is like breaking in in a special way there um, as, as we're worshiping God. And um, so it's, it's such a, an amazing, extraordinary grace that we have. But God doesn't just call me any bird separately, like in the sense that I'm just this individual person that is individually worship, worshiping him in this building while all these other individual people are individually worshiping him. He calls us all together as a corporate community. And that is, you know, we are the covenant community. And so he calls a people to himself and it's growing and growing and growing and it's amazing and awesome. And so we are brothers and sisters in Christ and he is the elder brother. Um, there, I reference a book throughout in one of my chapters about how we are actually called sons in the son, the son, Jesus Christ, um, through adoption in him. So, I mean, there's just so much beautiful theology behind all that. But then the question is, how do we worship together and how do we relate together? What's that going to look like on the new heavens and the earth? Like, how much does the Bible reveal about that? And one of the most amazing things to think about there is, okay, we're not going to be given a marriage. We're going to have resurrected bodies, but we're not going to be given a marriage. We're not going to be having babies on the new heavens and the new earth. But I'm, I'm going to be more a woman there than I've ever been right? I'm going to be holy and perfect in my resurrected body, unable to sin, totally free. And same with men. So there has to be something more to my femaleness than even being a wife and a mother. And what is that that will last into eternity? Well, it's sisterhood. You know, that's our longest lasting relationships too, sisterhood and brotherhood. That's pretty amazing. Even like, you know, it's kind of sad when you're in a happy marriage and you think, well, I'm not going to be married on the mm-hmm. new heavens and the new right. earth. But you know what? My husband is, is still going to be my brother in Christ in the longest lasting relationship. Yeah. Wow. So, that's great. Yeah. So, I mean, I just, that's all things to think about and, yeah. and how that affects our behavior now. Right. You know, one th- we did an episode uh, a while back on purity culture. Mm. And you probably know what I'm talking about. You mentioned it in the book, actually. I was kind of glad that you brought it up. And and we talked about how that's been very hurtful to women. I mean, to men also, but Mm -hmm. especially women. And I I really think that a lot of this comes from that same mentality. Oh, yeah. How has that hurt, especially women in the church and... And our relationships in the church, that's mm. that sort of attitude. How's the purity culture? Yeah. Well, okay. I mean, within the context of, of your book. Yes. Well, it became clear to me that I needed to write a whole chapter on purity. And the interesting part of it was, since I'm right, you know, you learn so much through writing. Right. <laughs> and there was so much that I was you know, working in my brain and reading through and research and connecting some dots about purity where it's like things that you kind of instinctively know, but haven't quite been able to articulate yet. And Mm. so 
I have two daughters. Um, one is about to turn 19 and one is 16. And so it's a huge topic for us, right? Wanting to raise them to understand purity as well. And, you know, I think that I fell into some of that too, because we've been so indoctrinated about, and it's really the prosperity gospel in the purity culture. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, it's the woman's job to protect her purity Right. And it's going to be this great gift then for the man who's going to so admire her for doing that. And then it's this great exchange, your purity for the perfect marriage um, where you will live happily ever after and have a wonderful sex life. And your husband will satisfy all of your other needs in life and, and vice versa. And you won't have any problems because you checked all the boxes and you know, put the quarter in the gumball machine. Right. And um, you should get your gumball and uh, <laughs> from God. And the, the problem with that is that we're talking all about what we're withholding, but purity lasts our whole life, right? And purity isn't something that I conjure up on my own by withholding sex. Purity or, you know, by having the proper skirt length even, um, purity is Christ. And it's from Christ, and it's through Christ, and it's offering back up to Christ. And so there's a very active thing going on. It's not just um, a withholding, but it's also a giving. It's a going to Christ with our longings, going to him with, uh, you know, repentance for any sinful thoughts or, or disordered affection, and, and offering that to him in uh, repentance. and then having that reoriented under Christ to where we can properly orient our affections towards one another. So the way that we treat others is, is a pure, you know, should be a pure action. And, and, and he's turning us, you know, into, he's transforming us into his own likeness to where you know, right now we're looked at as pure in Christ, but he's also gradually sanctifying us. Right. Mm-hmm. So, how do we participate in that better? And it's not just this avoidance of people. Right. It's a serving. And it's a caring about other people's holiness. It's honoring Christ, you know, in all that we do. So it's so much bigger. Because I think in the purity culture, a lot of it has great intentions behind it. But there's actually not any sanctification going on. Mm-hmm. And yeah. there's no growth. And... um What's what you see, and, and you know, kind of a lot of it's kicked off with Joshua Harris's I Kiss Dating Goodbye. All of a sudden, something like dating is scandalous. <laughs> and, <laughs> and, you know, now here we are over 20 years later, and he's actually kind of apologizing for that book and mm-hmm. seeing all the damage that's been done because this whole generation of people who were raised in the purity culture and wearing their silver rings and and, I mean, these women become like a market wearing this purity ring to show that they're virgins <laughs> and the ring gets taken away <laughs> if they sin. And, but anyway, many of them ended up in bad marriages or perpetually single and wanting to be married and um, very immature in their understanding of sexuality. Why is that? Well, I, I think that the teaching was, was flawed, even though the, the motivation and t- intentions behind it were good. So there's a really great book on it called Virgin Nation. Uh, 
I think the, the author's name is Sarah Moseliner, but it's very academic. And so it, it's not read very widely. It's, it's definitely a, a tougher read than a popular level book, but it's a great survey of the purity culture. Oh, I, I haven't heard of that. We had Rebecca Lemke, um, okay. The Scarlet Virgins, uh, mm-hmm. and okay. about that, but I'll have to look that one up. Yeah, I did a review of it, so you can look up my review to oh, see okay. Great. the taste of it. Great. Well, you know, I know that there has been a lot of criticism of your book, even from people who haven't read it at all. Because <laughs> <laughs> so, I know um, what I'm saying. Well, this is magical to you know <laughs> what's in there without reading. But I, I was wondering, well, some folks out there who haven't read your book are thinking that you are encouraging relationships that are potentially dangerous. Right. Do you want to talk about that misunderstanding and how that, I, that thought might be misunderstanding what your book is about? Yeah. Um, as I was saying, I, I really tried to paint what, how friendship is not an exclusive thing. And, and even in the conclusion of the book, I feel like I say it over and over and over again in the book, but I'm not asking for people to go out and start seeking alone time with the opposite sex (laughs) or to, um, you know, even try to, I mean, one person says something about how they, you know, or dive deep into cross gender friendship. I'm like, what is that? You know, like (laughs) that is strange. Um, no, (laughs) um, no. And, and I think that people just have such a black and white, view because of the mm-hmm. over-sexualization. It's either completely avoid the person or have candlelight dinners and think about sharing <laughs> yep. hotel room. Yep. Of course, it's not wise to go have a candlelight dinner, you know, if you're married woman with a another man, you know, of course, it's mm-hmm. not wise to share a hotel. Of course, it's, there's things that, you know, my husband and I definitely do to guard our marriage too. Like, I, I don't want to talk I don't think it's wise to, if I were having any kind of marriage problems, to, to share that information and, and seek counsel from a man, because mm-hmm. um, that would, you know, give him this opportunity then to to look a lot better than my husband. <laughs> um, so, I, yeah, I would go to my girlfriends for that. So, there's there's wisdom and discernment that needs to be exercised in all mm-hmm. of this. Mm-hmm. Um, don't go seeking out and saying, okay, well, now I'm going to go find Bob and we need to go to the movies every Friday night because Amy said that. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. Or we've also seen people say, uh, not just alone time, but like um, the amount of friends. I need to go look for lots of men right. friends. And it's some of the conversation that Colleen and I have had. It's kind of been clear to me that these these friendships unfold organically. Right. I am not making it my number one mission Absolutely. to go out and cultivate friendships with men. Where can I find more? Right. And, and same uh, with girls even. I mean, I yeah. think it's, like if I was looking for other girlfriends, it's weird to just go seek friends for friends' sake. Um, <laughs> you know, it does happen organically when you're involved, like when you're parenting and your kids are on the same sports team, like the other mm-hmm. parents who are there, you know, mm-hmm. or when you're organizing something at church and you're working on the same team to do it or things like that. Like how can we treat one another? Well, how can we mm-hmm. honor one another? Well, um, and how can we even have that brotherly sister banter even, mm-hmm. um, and be, and be safe. Mm-hmm. And so that's what I'm talking about. I'm not talking about, okay, now I'm going to call up Charlie and 
finally get to have that candlelight dinner that I was wanting to. It's so ridiculous, you know, like that's not what I'm saying. And, but, you know, you even do, you know, I give some examples in the end of the book. It's funny, like before Freud, how, how differently people looked at all this. um, Even John Calvin had some very theologically and shepherding intimate relationships with different women. Yep where he honored and respected them and, and uh, the language in their exchanges that we have in letters um, would be downright scandalous today. Don Calvin that, he, oh my goodness, you know, he was <laughs> an affair waiting to happen. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And so, I mean, there's so many figures in the church like that, but um, before you know, it's Freud. You just use you just use the word intimate, and that I is yeah. one of the things that I've seen in a lot of these discussions. They hate that word. I know. Yeah, yeah. Do you want to talk about what you mean by intimate? Yeah. Um, well, I've talked a lot about our siblingship in Christ, and mm-hmm. that's an intimate thing. Mm-hmm. Family, and we're advocates, right? Siblings are advocates for one another, um, and there's certain practices, and I talk about this the second half of the book. Um, there's certain practices that friends and siblings do. Um, mm-hmm. that keep a, fr- a friendship and, and siblingship holy. And just even things like truth-telling, um, grat- exercising gratitude, how we promote one another, what practices do we do, recognizing strengths and weaknesses in our siblings and, and not um, causing them to stumble in their weaknesses, practicing intercession, praying for one another, mm-hmm. exhorting one another, encouraging one another. And we're advocates. And then even like how we look at table fellowship, um, it shouldn't be a romantic thing. Table fellowship is intimate and it is romantic mm-hmm. if we're with on a romantic date or with our husband or, you know, something like that. But it's, it's not, we eat three times a day at least. Right. Mm-hmm. Right. And I'm, it's funny, like one book I was reading, I love this line, is that Jesus got himself killed by the people he ate with. Mm. Um, he got in so much trouble with who he ate with <laughs> and it really angered people. Um, he has some pretty intimate interactions with women. Paul serves alongside with women, calling them co-laborers in the gospel. Yes. That's serious business. That's intimate. Um, right. We just want to sexualize the word intimate too. That's right. Yeah. Um, there's ways that it's used that where it's not a, a sexual word. It's a family word. Mm-hmm. Right. Right. Because even with, even with your children, I, I actually, because yeah. of your book, after when I was done reading your book, I went and looked up a lot of a lot of theologians and any of them that had books of letters. So John Calvin, Martin Luther, mm-hmm. and they had letters with women. And I would look, some of them yeah. were married at the time. Samuel yeah. Rutherford has yep. tons of them. <laughs> and, and they'll say things like, you know, my dear sister and, yeah. and sign them, you know, your friend. And I, I thought exactly what you said, that these would be scandalous. Yeah. These are the men that we elevate and they, elevate. and there is, there is an intimacy. I was reading one from Luther who was, who was encouraging and offering comfort to a woman whose um, child had died. Mm. I think it was Luther. You know, I was there when your, chi- when your child died and just, it was just, it, there, there was an intimacy. Mm-hmm. A, I mean, a pure intimacy. Pure. Um, yeah. Yeah. And, and, and an encouragement, but I, I wrote, several quotes from your book. And I, I have one that I, that I really thought 
summed up a lot of a lot of what you were talking about. Mm-hmm. And it says, of course, we promote one another's holiness, take sin seriously, and realize that we can easily fall into it. We don't think of a bunch of reasons to be alone with the other sex. We don't naively assume that everyone is safe, and we don't overestimate our own virtue. But rather than creating extra biblical rules, we are to do the hard work of rightly orienting our affections and exercising wisdom and discernment with others. We live before God in every situation. And in this manner, we will be able to perform ordinary acts of kindness and business without scandal. So can you can you talk just a little bit about that? Because I think this really is a good summary of what you mm-hmm. talk about throughout the book. But really what I, and I guess I would almost say like what you said, you said one of your goals would be that, you know, that like you talked about husbands and wives reading it together and talking about it in churches, but what would mm-hmm. you, what do you want people to walk away from reading your book with? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I really hope that it helps us to all kind of examine our blind spots and, and those blind spots might be that we're over-sexualizing the other sex, um, that we are pushing people away and avoiding them and, and not performing ordinary acts of service and kindness like we should. Or they might be that, um, you know, there's some areas in my life where I really need to grow before I could be in a situation to where I feel like I'd be a safe friend even to the opposite sex. Um, the first half of my book really talks about all the reasons why men and women can't be friends and where we need to grow in those areas. And what I hope first then is that we have this self-evaluation and, and before the Lord and prayer and, and meditation, these talks with our, you know, those who are married with our spouses, and then to also look to see, like, are we serving the single people well in our church? Do they feel like they're a part of our church family, or do they just see a bunch of nuclear families that they don't fit into any of this? I'd hope that church officers would be thinking about, do we look at the women in our church as, as sisters who have a lot to offer and um, even correctively in some ways? And are we uh, trying to see things through their eyes and their perspective sometimes? Um, am I, I remember I was asked to um, speak at RTS in DC to, preaching class on the topic of preaching to women. Uh The professor told me that the reason why he does that now every year is that he was five years, and he's older now, but um, he was five years into his ministry as a pastor when he realized that he wasn't preaching to the women in his congregation at all. He was preaching to men, you know, and there's just, we all have blind spots. And in seminary, uh, yeah, I, I gave a talk before a presbytery, uh, it was like 80 men on just the topic of, you know, 80 pastors and elders on the topic of equipping women in your church well. And um, this is a PCA presbytery, so c- very conservative denomination. And the Q&A, I just didn't know what to expect because I'm the only woman in this room, right? There were tons of great questions. Like pastors were connecting these dots that, oh my goodness, this is why my women's ministry is having this problem, you know, or why there's drama over here or, you know, why this person feels this way. And um, so I was getting all these really thoughtful questions. And and one pastor, he was in his 50s, raised his hand and he said to me, he's like, I just want to tell you that in all my years of seminary and all my years of presbytery and any kind of training I've gone to, 
I have never heard this. Wow. He's like, I've never heard this. I've never been trained on equipping women and, and having them as necessary allies in the church. And so I'm hope the brother sister aspect in this whole, why can't we be friends really was an offshoot of my writing of no little women too. Mm-hmm, it's mm-hmm. I, I feel like my books kind of build off of one another. Yes. You know, you write a book and all of a sudden you're like, Oh, now I have all these questions. But, um, <laughs> and so I really wanted to, show a framework on who we are in Christ and how we relate to one another. And that 98% of the church is not officers, right? Um, how do these men and women, what do they do? <laughs> what do they do? And so um, that's what I'm getting at. And, and it, our relationships are a huge part of that. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and what is the world seeing? Like, if we are saying the same thing as Billy Crystal did 30 years ago, that men and women can never be friends because the sex part always gets in the way. If we're saying that message and the outside world is looking at us and we're trying to tell them that the triune God is calling them to holy communion with him and, and us for eternity. What a contradiction right. that is. Right. And mm-hmm. so I'm just trying to connect some dots here and, and start some conversations. And, you know, I didn't give a ton of practical, I mean, I gave a lot of practice. I felt like a lot of practical teaching in the book, but mm-hmm. I didn't give a lot of like, this is what you do in this situation. Mm-hmm. Right. Because it, things are situational and we right. need to use wisdom. Yeah. The Bible doesn't do that. So Amen. I don't want to go beyond what the Bible says. And, um, But so people will have some different viewpoints on those things and that's okay. Discuss that. And as a church, how can we, and it even goes into, okay, these are our sisters in Christ. We have so many hundred people or thousand people at this church. I guarantee you that a certain percent of them are in abusive relationships. Yeah. What, how do our sisters feel like the leadership of this church feels about uh, and what God thinks about their value and their meaning. Now, if if we have a session full of men, how intimidating would it be for her to come in here, who's she's already being abused by man, coming in and saying this to us? Um, so, what what would it look like to show our love for our sisters in Christ if we were to equip and train certain women as advocates and representatives for those who are abused? So that if somebody is in under abuse, like we've already stood these women up in church and, and made this announcement, we care about all of our sisters and brothers in this church. And if there is a child or a woman or even, you know, somebody who is a, being in an abusive relationship, these women are here as representatives for you because we care about you and we want to listen well and serve you well. So that way you can come with a representative. And get the proper care you need, you know, like things like that, that those are my big hopes, not just uh, who's going to judge me if I'm grabbing a sandwich <laughs> with a brother in Christ because, you know, the circumstances so turned out that way or, you know, we needed to have a discussion about something. Mm-hmm. It's like it's much bigger than that. <laughs> mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So, yeah, I'm really hoping for um, for the there's a lot of layers to it. I'm hoping that we'll get covered in, 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 in church sessions. 
session meetings and then between just regular lay people in the church being able to, I have questions at the end of each chapter. Yeah. And I, I, they're ones that I, I feel like aren't just like regurgitate what you just learned kind of questions, but ones that I hope provoke thought and discussion. Yeah. And my husband and I, he has not read it. I've been reading him parts <laughs> like when I was reading it I, and, and we would have, have discussions. There, there is one thing, and I wasn't even going to ask this, but because of all the criticism, I, you know, I cut, this is one that I think, I, I think I would like to just briefly talk about. So there, there is this idea and I've heard it from men and even a couple of women out there that because men struggle with lust, mm-hmm. we should not want to pursue relationships with them because then we're just becoming a temptation to them, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. And there's like nothing about calling men to, to deal with lust. Right. right. <laughs> you notice that? Yes, um, I noticed that. <laughs> yeah. I, okay. First of all, we're not, we're assuming that women don't struggle with lust. And maybe men do more than women, but there are plenty of women who struggle with lust. Right. So they too. And, but we all need to deal with it. Now I do mention in the book, all right, if somebody has, let's say a problem with pornography, this is somebody who's giving in to to lust, right. And feeding that. And um, if somebody, you know, gets into this pornography addiction, they're not going to be a good friend. You know, they're not somebody who you would want to, you know, they have a lot of um, work that needs to be done <laughs> before they can look at women properly. Mm. You know, there's just a lot of depravity there that needs to be uh, worked on with, with the pastors in the church and in prayer. And, and that takes time. So everybody's at different levels. I do think that that requires a lot of self-examination. If, if a man feels like he can't, um, share an elevator because that's one of the other ones. Share an elevator with a woman without thinking about sex. Well, then, yeah, he's got some serious problems. <laughs> yeah, you know, like yeah. he's got to deal with that. But the poor woman who just needs to get to the third floor, <laughs> right? You know, she's trying to get to the third floor. So I think that he can handle himself for sixty seconds <laughs> while they're in that elevator. Even, you know, somebody like that could probably handle himself for 60 seconds for an (laughs) elevator ride. You know, these are just all things, you know, everybody's at different levels. And so it's, you have to make your decisions based on where you are and then where the, you know, where you judge other people are. Yeah. That's what discernment is. It's yeah. so funny. You, (laughs) my, my husband was recently on a trip for work and he was on an elevator Mm-hmm. with a group of people and lo and behold they stopped at a floor and everyone got off except for one woman and mm-hmm. here goes the doors closing <laughs> oh no what's he going to do i know he messaged me and said what am i supposed to do now pants rule <laughs> <laughs> should i should i push her out <laughs> even it out the next elevator ride make sure it's with five other men uh, but i mean so cancel is- out the woman This just shows me, it just goes back to the absurdity of thinking that we can manufacture righteousness out of a list of do's and don'ts and a list of rules. Um, We're not saying that having uh, ideas about, hey, I'm not going to do this, just like, you know, you shared earlier, I'm not going to share my marriage troubles with a man friend. Mm -hmm. Okay. I mean, this is wise, this is wisdom, but uh, mandating every situation before it happens. 
this this is the difference. We we can't manufacture righteousness that way. It will never produce righteousness. It doesn't. And if we don't want to ignore lust, right? We need to deal with lust. Mm-hmm. You know, like um, that needs to be mortified. Right. Um, you can't just say, well, I'm going to be lustful for my whole life. And, and, and mm-hmm. men will say, too, like, this is nature. And I'm like, actually, it's not. Like, that's fallen nature. Mm-hmm. You know, we've been redeemed. We live under the reign of grace. Like, we are called to be holy. We're not called to, you know, hold on to our sin or to be ruled by it. Right. So in a lot of ways, your book is is a call to holiness saying, hey, guys, we yes. need to get after it. Be holy yeah. <laughs> and, and help one another be holy. Yeah. Yeah. And you, you even do talk about sanctification, you know, with, within the book. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, we have to grow. Uh, part of our anthropology is, you know, Adam and Eve were put in the garden to, to grow not yeah. to stay static and, and we're to grow in holiness. And so um, part of that is relational. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And we see that from scripture. Mm-hmm. Well, Amy, this, this was so great. Thank you mm-hmm. so much yeah. for taking the time to come on the podcast and answer some of our questions. We are going to give away a copy of your book. So to my mm-hmm. listeners, if you're interested in, being entered, check out our Facebook page and our Twitter, and there will be information there if you're you'd like to have a copy of Amy's book. And and for those who do not win that, go out and buy it because it is so good. I mean, the everything that I was hoping you would talk about in this book, you did. Oh my goodness. And Thank I was you. I was just <laughs> yeah. I, I it's just, it's very good. And I, I really, I really like, really like the focus of it and, and just so much. I had all, in fact, I, when I was reading it, I was sending Angela all these quotes from it. Because, you know, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, I'm I have, so glad to hear that. I've had spouses, you know, email me saying my wife or my husband uh, has read me so many quotes that now I've got to read it myself. <laughs> yeah. That's uh, that was my husband's experience with No Little Women. He vicariously read it through <laughs> me, um, and it's so funny. He uh, he actually recommends the book to other <laughs> other people. I've heard him uh, mm-hmm. recommend it to a man before. Um, and so, oh yeah, I've read it for men too. Like I certainly had men in mind when I read he it. He didn't read it himself, but he re- got enough of it from me. That he's <laughs> this is a fantastic book. You should read this. Well, and I hope that, you know, there are tools for church officers too. Absolutely. I love hearing from pastors saying that, oh, you know, this is helping me relate better to the women Mm -hmm, in my church mm -hmm. or to to know how to equip them better in different ways that I didn't think about before. So I thought it was fascinating that you said that this book sort of flowed out of some of your research from No Little Women. So that's that's very exciting to me. I, I haven't finished reading, so... Um, I'm excited after this conversation to press on and finish. Thank the you. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, I'm very happy with the interactions that I've had. I know that there's been criticism and some of it's been even pretty extreme, but I kind of knew it's a, it's a touchy subject for people. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, I was willing to be, the, be on the shopping block for it. <laughs> well, thank you. <laughs> what the heck? <laughs> I've, I've heard some great feedback from people that have read it so far. So, yeah. well, thank you again, Amy. <laughs> My for pleasure. Yeah, podcast. it's been a pleasure talking to you guys. <laughs>